Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 527. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest today who shares his journey from a history of W's, C's, F's, going to community college and now 31 years old, receiving 15 interview invites. An amazing story. Hopefully, we'll give you some motivation to keep going on your journey. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know to do well on anything in life, in anything in life, you need to prepare for that thing. You need to plan for that thing. That's why using Blueprint MCAT's free study planner tool, is an amazing resource for all pre-med students who are going to take the MCAT. Go over to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for their free account and use their study planner tool, which will allow you to tell Blueprint when you're planning on taking your MCAT exam, what days potentially you have off um, to to study, what days you can't study, the days that you wanna take your full lengths, all of that good stuff. And you know, life happens. So if you need to rearrange some things, It's as easy as clicking and dragging. Go over to Blueprint MCAT right now to sign up for that free account. All right, let's go ahead and jump in to our episode today. Aaron, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. It's good to be here. Absolute honor. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? You know, I think for me, it kind of came into, came in two waves, kind of two halves of seeds. Um, My dad was a, rural ER physician. He worked in a small uh, rural hospital, six beds. And I grew up kind of that traditional, like dad's a doctor. I got Mm -hmm. to go visit him at the hospital. We were able to just walk through the front doors and kind of just be able to watch him suture up people. And uh, it was really fascinating. And I fell in love with just like these people who were hurt kind of come visiting my dad. And I was just obsessed, I think, with uh, the medical worlds. Yeah. And I think as I continued to grow up, um, I kept telling people that I wanted to be a physician. And I think as I grew up, I became more addicted to people's response to that than actually wanting to be a physician. And what do you, as what I do you mean by my, that? I mean, when you're a kid, you're, I think, extremely naive to the world and like what it takes to be a physician. And yeah. I think like seeing my dad be a doctor, like it was fascinating and whatnot. 
but like as i grew up i didn't really go to the hospital as much and i kind of just kept telling people oh i want to be a doctor and i want to be a doctor and yeah people were like oh that's so cool like you know your parents must be proud i just became kind of uh, like very yeah addicted to that kind of process and okay. as i hit my teenage years i became very rebellious very rebellious against my parents ideology um and i wanted to kind of create success for myself and actually when i hit uh my teenage years like i wanted to do anything else besides becoming a physician so the physician was the last thing i wanted to be and i went to college with that kind of mindset and my focus was not on academics it was more on having fun mm -hmm. um living that college lifestyle and there's a lot behind that story and my academics suffered um i ended up dropping out of college and in that kind of defeat and failure and hardship um, i ended up working at a substance abuse center in north carolina mm -hmm. and i grew up in a very small rural town so i loved backpacking and i kind of just had an opportunity to go work as a wilderness guide there a clinical wilderness guide and in that process of working there over a couple of years um, i was able to distribute medications to patients uh, work with them as a substance abuse counselor intern learn wilderness first aid, uh, do a lot of stuff on the medical side, work with psychologists, psychiatrists. And I just became fascinated with, you know, when we get this pack of medications to hand out for the week, you know, I'd always ask my clinical coordinator who was an EMT um, advanced, and I'd ask him like, why are we choosing to do this? Like this person has bipolar and addiction, or this person has heart issues or lung issues. Like, why are we choosing these medications? And he kept telling me the same thing that you have to ask the physician that question. Like, you have to ask the physician that question. And so I realized kind of through subsequent conversations with medical professionals um, and through those uh, kind of just self-reflection that I could work on the things I wanted to do. So I went originally there to become a therapist. That's what I wanted to do originally. Okay. And I realized that I could get the psychosocial model, like through medicine, I could work on the vulnerability with patients. I could speak with patients, uh, connect with them while also, um, diving into this world of, um, these biochemical pathways that I'm so interested in, um, to find out more about what makes us human. I just felt limited in my role. And yeah. then I decided that, you know, I want to go back to school, become a physician. How did you overcome the rebellious side? Like at what point were you like, oh, I was just being dumb. Like, did, did you ever go through a phase where you had to question why you were rebelling against it in the first place? Yeah, I think my parents were absolutely phenomenal parents. I think at the time I felt very limited um, in the sense like I was good in school. I was good in sports. I was good with people, mm -hmm. but I just felt, um, you know, looking at kind of generational trauma, I think, you know, my mom had kind of a hard upbringing and she so badly wanted my brother and I to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I think in that kind of love, if I felt a little bit suffocated. Okay. And so I almost wanted to kind of break free of that when I hit, you know, those teenage years become very rebellious. I think really what led me to kind of get out of that was really just failing so hard and like going to a really deep bottom. Mm -hmm. Like I dropped out with a 1.7 GPA. I had 10, probably 10 withdrawals, multiple failures, C's. Uh, I just didn't like who I saw in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think just that kind of failure really brought a lot of humility to me and really made me realize that life isn't just going to hand me things. And um, I think being able to kind of step back 
and work in that profession allowed me to grow as an individual and grow as a professional and allowed me by helping other people. I was able to like, even though I helped these guys a lot, like I feel sometimes that they helped me even more yeah, because they really were kind of a spitting image. Um, even though they weren't like exact identical issues, like of where I was at mentally and emotionally. And I realized like for me to do what I wanted to do in life, I kind of, I had to start maturing and I had to start growing up. I had to start realizing like, where am I at fault in these situations? And a lot of it came down to the fact that I was just kind of, I guess, arrogant in my younger years. You know, you think you know everything <laughs> at 18. Yep. So it's just, uh, yeah, I, I just grew out of it. I think through failure. How old were you at this point where you realized you wanted to go back to med school or go back to school so you can get to med school? I was 26. I was okay. 26 when I started to think about it. Okay. And I found your podcast at that time. Um, I was, I'm a big researcher. So I was kind of researching the web of like, is this possible? Like, can I do this? Yeah. And I was really scared because like, I did not do well in high school chemistry. Um, I did not do well, obviously in my college classes, like I dropped out mm -hmm. and I was like, do I have the mental aptitude? Do I have the, um, discipline? Do I have the perseverance to actually get into this? Cause I'm looking at this Mount Everest of things just to get into medical school. Yeah. And then you have to do medical school and then residency. I'm like, can I do all this? Yeah. And on, honestly, find your podcast. Like you really made me believe that I could do it. Yeah. Why other people can do it. You had, mm -hmm. it sounds like zero evidence up until that point that you could do it. Was it, was it just seeing other people who have failed that are like, oh, they turned it around. Therefore, I, I, I suppose I could figure it out. Yeah, I think. I think when people shine light on like the difficulties and successes of who they are, uh -huh. um, it like inherently gives permission for other people to kind of do the same. And I think by you having these people on these podcasts, they start to inspire me that like, well, if this person can do it this 40, 50 year old can do it. If this person with multiple Fs can do it, like, why can't I? Yeah. And I think that was part of that self growth of like really questioning the constructs of like how I lived my life. And I think that was one of them is breaking apart of like, why do I feel limited yeah. in who I am? Because who I am now at 26, deciding to go back to medical school is not the same person who I was when I was 18. Yeah. So it just took kind of that maturity. I just need that time, you know, to kind of grow into that. <laughs> it darn prefrontal cortex that's not formed until a little bit later. Um, no. Yeah. So you, you start to realize that number one, just at, a, at the most basic level, people have overcome failures and withdrawals and all of that stuff. What was the first thing for you to actually test whether you could do it? Did you like go sign up for a full semester of classes? Did you just dip, dip your toe in the water, take one class at a time? How did you navigate that that restart? No, I'm an all or nothing guy, <laughs> which comes with pros and cons. And so I uh, I had a conversation with my dad because he was a physician um, before I decided to go back to school uh, because my whole goal first off going back to school was I wanted to graduate undergrad without any debt. Okay. Uh, and for that to happen, I needed my parents help uh, in some ways, uh, but also being older, I wasn't going to have to pay for tuition. So that was kind of helpful. Um, but 
yeah, I think making that decision, um, I just felt like I needed to dive in. I just needed to dive in 100%. I needed to commit to this. I didn't want to kind of, I loved how you always said, like, don't have a plan B. And I <laughs> so really many people hate into, that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I jumped into it with that. And actually, yeah. throughout the whole process, even, I really considered PA and NP yep. with my age. So even though I started the initial process, like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the full course load. I started off really easy. Like I took an intro to chemistry class. Like I started off with algebra one, okay. took medical terminology. That was like my first semester. So I was like, kind of just, I guess I get, did my toes back in, so to speak academically, but it was a full course load. Yeah. And you know, that was really invigorating to kind of like, oh, I got A's in these three classes. And then the next semester I took four classes and it was gem chem one, bio one. And I can basically got, you know, the A's, but yeah, I would say, even though have no plan B, I will say, honestly, like I, that crept into my mind quite often. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You, as you, as you're going back through this process, how often did you have to deal with those demons from before of like, well, maybe I am that 1.7 student or 1.6 student, whatever it was. Maybe, maybe I am that uh, F's student. Like did, did those struggles did those thoughts ever come back or were were you succeeding and you had that success in front of you going oh no a's I'm, I'm good i don't have to worry about that past version of me i would say those fears hit always at the beginning of the semester mm-hmm. um so like that first semester of intro classes like i did well i was invigorated it's like oh no now it's gen chem one mm-hmm. now it's bio one now it's phys and anatomy and so I got scared of like, oh, can I do this? But I think in a weird way, like that fear, one, I realized it from a 10,000 yard view that it's like, I love the acronym, like false evidence appearing real, Mm -hmm. that it's really just not um, accurate to my situation. And what I was able to do though, too, I think with those feelings, and I loved sharing with the guys I used to counsel was, you know, share your pain and cut it in half or share your joy and double it. And I think I consistently talked to people about like how I was feeling, Mm -hmm. because I think and the logistics of getting into medical school, they're out there. There's a thousand resources of how, how to get into medical school. But really, yeah. I think it's in a mental and emotional game. And I think the pre-med classes are weed out courses. And they weed people out, I think, more because of the mental just strain and the stress and the frustration that comes with it. And so I think um, I went to a community college for my prereqs. And I think the beautiful part about that, like my OCHEM class was like six people. <laughs> so I just had very a lot of interaction with my professor. And he was able to kind of, you know, all the professors I had, I just was able to walk into office hours or walk into the office anytime and kind of discuss with them like what I'm struggling with. And then I have to give a lot of credit to them, a lot of credit to my parents. Like it wasn't just me. Like a lot of people supported me and kind of gave me feedback that I'm doing well. Here's where you can improve. Like you can do this. So I have to give a lot of credit to the other people in my life. Community college go on to student doctor network, go on to Reddit, talk to lots of people. Community college is an instant rejection from, from medical school, especially in someone in your situation where you're trying to prove academic ability because you have already dropped out of school once. What was that thought process of community college? Did you, did you understand the stigma that was coming along with that? And you're like, screw it. This is what I want to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. 
So the pros and cons of research is I found your podcast <laughs> mm-hmm. and I also found SDN, <laughs> which can sometimes be um, hit and miss with yep. the advice it can give. And so, yes, I was very aware of the stigma. And I think one, I had kind of your information that going to a community college isn't going to set me back. And I also had the mindset that like the MCAT is kind of the even playing fields um, of getting into medical school. Mm. And I'll also say I had the caveat that because I didn't have my bachelor's degree, I was going to have to do all my prereqs and stuff at community college, but I was going to transfer to a four-year institution to get my bachelor's. Um, So I ended up transferring to UCLA, a great institution and held my great grades there. Mm. Um, So that I think was a little bit of a buffer in terms of like, can he handle um, perhaps a higher level courses? Yeah. So, so it wasn't just community college. It was, it was, you, you were basically starting at zero, even though you had some credits under your belt and you were like, I'm an, I'm a kind of a very standard student these days going community college to a four-year university and, and, and I'll graduate, which is great. Um, and yes, as, as you mentioned, right. Maintaining those grades as best you can from that transition of community college to a four-year university definitely helps. You got, 15 interview invites? 16. 16. Oh, sorry. 16 interview invites. How often in those 16 interview, as many interviews as you've gone on, right? Just because you got an invite doesn't mean you actually went. How many of your interviews brought up your community college? Not a single one. Shocker. Not one (laughs) brought them up. No. Yeah. What they did, they asked me questions and then I would be able to throw out my community college um, experience in terms of like people who have mentored you. So for example, like the professors of the community college, Yeah, but no, not a single one cared. Yeah. How many brought up that change of 1.6 version of you and new reset version of you as as in, Hey, what happened or uh, what happened back then? Or was it more of a, what did you do to change? So if it was a closed book interview and they had no access, I would bring it up anyway. Cause okay. a lot of times they would ask what is something we should know about you or like what's something you're most proud of. And I think yep. that dichotomy of switching, I would open up about, but the ones that did, they all asked. Yeah. Um, Cause they were very curious as to like why, like we see this kind of failure back here and then yeah. success over here, like what happened in between that period. And so, yeah, every single one asked about that. Yeah. And I think I was able to kind of eloquently and, uh, be able to self-reflect on why exactly that happened, what did I learn from it, and what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you think led to so much success for an application? Was this your first application cycle? Yeah, So correct. one application cycle, 16 interview invites, which is the higher end of what I've ever heard. So what leads to that? Man, Funny enough, even though it was the most difficult, one of the most difficult times in my life to drop out of college, I mean, I was extremely depressed, anxious. It ended up being one of the greatest things that could have ever happened to me because it led me into an arena of medicine that gave me so many outlets and so many positives that I could talk about in my application. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked as a manager. I worked as a, a counselor intern. I worked as a wilderness guide. Uh, very like kind of interesting things. And just the longer route of my um, application process allowed me to kind of, you know, I kind of started this little auto detailing business in the pandemic. 
um, I was able to just talk about a lot more. I was able to get more time into these extracurriculars and just do things I enjoy. And so I think that kind of led a lot to my success. But I would say, honestly, I keep going back to this, but I listen to your, like, <laughs> I religiously listen to your podcast and I read your books and I was able to kind of construct who I was as a person, mm. I think in a very uh, kind of show don't tell yeah. way. And so even though like I didn't have the greatest MCAT score um, and obviously my prior GPA wasn't amazing, but the kind of upward trend was, was yeah. good. Um, but I was kind of able to show, I think through my personal statement, extracurriculars that it kind of reflected, I think the maturity and development that I had in those years off. And so that's what I think kind of hooked people. And I got to give a lot of credit to the medical students who read my personal statement because my personal statement when it started was awful. <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, but you just have to put pen to paper and just right. write it. Yeah. Exactly. And then so I got to give a lot of credit to the people who read that and kind of made it into what it is. What did your GPA end up as? What, how did the application calculate it? Uh, it was a, 3.7, I think 3.71. So you still ended up relatively high. Yeah. Yeah. But I have enough credits for like two bachelor's degrees. <laughs> and I have one. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. How many credits did you have when you dropped out first time around? Um, I would say I had about 70 or 80. Wow. And you were still able to get your GPA that high. And I, I took another 200 units. Wow. It took me eight, it took me eight years to graduate college eight years. and eight years. And it took a lot of work, a lot of summer classes, a lot of stuff to bring that back up. Were you taking that long because you were shooting for a specific GPA goal? What, what took you so long to get to the point of like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. So I was at, college originally for let's see two and a half three years yeah three years and then when i went back to community college i ended up doing another three years and i think that was just more because scheduling conflicts a small community college doesn't offer the courses you need every semester yeah and so i had to take three years there not just to do the prereqs but also to do my major prereqs and to redo classes that i kind of failed in yeah and so that took three years and then i transferred and did another two years at ucla and so, no, I think it was just the nature just, of the life course. Yeah. And I knew that going in. I like, I did so much research before diving in that I knew it was going to take me probably five years in order to get to my bachelor's. And that was exhausting just to think about. Yeah. But the time passes regardless. Like, yeah. You're going to be 30, 40, 50, no matter what you do. So do something you want to do in your life. How many Fs did you have? Uh, I had multiple. Let's see. Two or three. Okay. How many, yeah. dub, how many Multiple W's? Multiple C's. Uh, ten. Ten W's. Yeah. Few F's, few C's here and there. Yep. So you, you, you struggled, but then you turned it around uh, completely. When, when you talk about those 16 interview invites, did, were you applying MD and DO? Was it all MD schools? What did that breakdown look like? Yeah, I applied to 39 schools, 
So I applied to 31 MD and eight DO. Wow. Yeah. And then I got 11, 11 MD interviews and five DO. That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. On your, your interviews, if you could pinpoint the one thing that the interviews kind of had a common theme about in terms of what they were excited about with you, what do you think it was? Honestly, I think it was probably my personal statement. Um, I think I was able to really, really hook them in with kind of the story of like, you know, one 2 a.m. Christmas morning, I was chasing up a guy in the mountains of North Carolina trying to get, you know, someone who's going through withdrawals and just oh. like, whoa, like, you know, it was a, one of the coolest jobs in the world, yeah. uh, but very difficult in that sense. And then kind of lead them towards this um, story of like, how I worked in the addiction lab at UCLA, how I shadowed my rural family medicine doctor um, and saw the difficulties of just like serving in under a certain area mm. and just how people like even with addiction problems can't afford or have access to other things. And I was able to kind of create this thread, this story, mm-hmm. um, because I am interested in like psychiatry, but I'm also interested in family medicine. I'm interested in you know, physiology because I tutor physiology. So I'm interested in a lot of different things. Yeah. But I was able to kind of show this like general story and thread. And then through the extracurriculars too, I think just how I wrote was able to express the, I guess, dynamic nature of who we are because we are so complicated and there is so much to us. Yeah. And when someone asked me like, I don't know what to like write about or like what to do or like, like just pursue things you love yeah. and like try and write about them, have other people edit them. But there is so much to who you are. Like there's so much you have to share and there's so much you have to to show. And so I think I was just able to kind of do that. And I think they were kind of excited to, to see that in writing and be able to talk to me about that. Yeah. How much did you focus on your previous academic failures in your personal statement? Not, no, I didn't mention it at all. At all. So in some secondaries, I'm, it gives gives you that kind of prompt that you can talk about any previous academic difficulties. So some had that, mm-hmm. but no, I didn't talk about it at all in my personal statement. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of people are, are concerned. Do I have to talk about it? Do I not have to talk about it? If I talk about it, how much? And and you decided to take the route. That was that strategic. You're like, uh, I want to talk about other stuff, and I just not gonna have space for it. What what was the the strategy behind that? So my first personal statement did have it mm. and I just realized it took up way too much space kind of trying to explain and defend yeah. this position when in reality, like my extracurriculars and my current upward trend, like that speaks for itself. Yeah. Like I don't need to explain it when my sh- current strengths um, kind of counteract that, I guess. So I just felt like it was more important to focus on the things I was doing, the things kind of focused on, um, that were happening now in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think, so I did have it, got rid of it. Yeah. And it ended up working in my favor. Yeah. yeah. You're 26, 27, going back to school. What was it like to be one of the older people in the class? Probably. God, I heard you say in a previous podcast, like, I feel like I'm just 17 or 18. <laughs> right. But yep. like when you're 26, 27, you're kind of the older person. Yep. Um, I would say at a community college, it's nice. Is there's a lot more older people. Mm-hmm. So actually, one of my good friends, he was actually 40 going back to school. Nice. Um, so that was like super nice to to be around that. 
I guess I never really identified with like being older. Yep. Um, maybe it was blissful ignorance, <laughs> but you know, I think that came with a lot of strengths and that I was really, once you figure out the why for something you can overcome anyhow, I love that saying. Mm-hmm. And I knew why I was there. I think my, um, time gives you kind of perspective. And I think I was able to kind of harness and channel this discipline and this reason, like I'm here to like go to medical school mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn as much as I can, not just about the subject in general, but I'm really going to challenge myself on time management, on showing up, asking questions. And so just having that kind of growth mindset. And yeah. so, and I think a lot of people kind of saw that and they knew I was older, but I had to explain to them because I was also a tutor at the community college. I had to explain to them that like, I got this because I failed so tremendously yeah. because I didn't show up because I didn't study. And so I had to explain to them that like, this isn't just like natural for me. Like mm-hmm. this came at a very, very high cost. Yeah. It came from experience. That's awesome. Exactly. You, I think you had mentioned earlier, you didn't crush your MCAT. What, what happened there? So I ended up, my final practice test was a 513 which okay. I was very happy of. And yeah. then my actual test score was a 507, which is decent. It's average. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was pretty destroyed by that, honestly, when I got it, because that's the six point drop yeah. um, from my last practice test. And being a California resident, obviously those UCs are really competitive and they're my top schools. At the same time, I felt, I felt like I was a lot more than just a number. I feel like a 507, given my application and my background in non-traditional route, I think I just knew it was enough to get me into medical school. Yeah. I think that comes a lot from listening to you. And so I applied, I was, th- I was considering retaking it, but I just figured, you know what, I'm just going to roll the dice, let it fall where it may. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? California resident, I think, is a huge um, concern for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I, I need a 520 to, to stay in California. How many of those UCs got, granted you an interview? Zero. Zero. Uh, I only okay. have UC Davis holding on to, and they're my number one school right now. So, okay. But luckily, they interview a little bit into April, so I'm kind of like holding on to it. Okay. But, you know, I was excited because UCSF sent me a secondary. They don't send mm-hmm. it to everybody. Yep. Uh, but so far they've all rejected me. And somebody reached out to me on Reddit and asked me if they felt my MCAS score held me back. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, yes and no, because it's grand. I mean, <laughs> it's weird. Like 16 said, interviews. Uh, it, it held me exactly. back. <laughs> exactly. It's like, no, because I've had so many opportunities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I can't help but think if I had a 515, yeah. you know, 518, like maybe San Diego or Irvine or LA would have, you know, interviewed me. So it's kind of that, I don't know, the pros and cons, right? I would have had to study again and take the test again. And maybe I would have gone to the UC yeah. at the same time. I'm, I think at this stage of my life, I kind of give it up to something greater than myself and just kind of take a step back and not try to be in control of everything. Yeah. I just do the best I can and go from there. Just go from there. Yeah. I think it, it's interesting, right? There, there are those students out there who are 1000% uh, determined to go to a, a California school and they're only applying MD and yeah, right. G- good for you. I'm not going to judge you. That's what you want to do. Then shoot for the skies and and you probably need a higher MCAT score. Um, a lot of the advice that I give is very general, very big picture, 
right? You applied to 39 schools as a crap ton of schools. You got 16 interview invites. So when I say a 507 is probably gonna not close that many doors, that's the truth. You got 16 schools that are like 507 is good enough for me. Um, and so it's it's interesting. It's it's one of the more frustrating parts of of what I do is trying to speak broadly, knowing that there are still people out there who are very determined. I only want to go to UCLA. I only want to go to to UCSF. Good, good for you, <laughs> right? Four point oh five twenty eight, and that probably won't guarantee you anything still as well. So, um, it's hard. It's hard. It's frustrating. What? Wh- looking back, uh, what are you gonna say? I'm just gonna say all people are different people, and you yeah. just have to figure out like what works for you and what you want. You know, if I had a family in California and I want to stay in California, I probably would have retaken the MCAT again. Yeah. But I'm, you know, young, I'm single, I can go anywhere in the nation. So I figured why not just roll the dice? You just yeah. have to figure out what's right for you and not dig on SDN and Reddit and try to get a stranger's opinion on what you should do with your life. Like really <laughs> take some time to journal, like go climb a mountain, like sit with yourself and figure out like, what do you need out of yeah. this process? Yeah. Go climb a mountain or chase someone up a mountain <laughs> at 2 a.m. Exactly. in the morning. Christmas morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on Christmas morning, that makes it even better. Beautiful. So It's a beautiful gift. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I found you uh, on Reddit. You're out there giving advice to people. When when you hear these these people post or when you see these people post on Reddit and they're like, I, ha- I only have 4,000 hours of, of clinical experience and I only have a 3.8 GPA and I only have a 515 and oh my gosh, I'm not going to get in. Like, what do you say to these people? I think like I just did, I just tell them to kind of take a deep breath. (laughs) You're going to be okay. Yeah. I think I was one of those people that like, I didn't think I was going to get any interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you just got to focus on kind of one step at a time and realize, I think a lot of the energy when people are coming from that, like, oh my gosh, you have a good GPA, you have good research. Like there's something else deeper that's going on with them. Maybe it's family pressure. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. um, social issues. Like maybe it's something else that's telling them that they're not enough and that they need more and they need more. So really, I think the first step is I just have compassion for them and just have some empathy for the fact that like, you know what? Yeah, this process is hard. And sometimes we can get caught up in this rat race of just Mm -hmm. competitiveness of just trying to, you know, get into medical school. It's a, a ridiculous process. Yeah. But so one, I just kind of attribute that like, this is really hard and it's okay to like, feel stress at the same time like you're gonna be if you have stat amazing stats like you're going to be okay yeah like you're gonna look back on this in 10 15 years and just kind of laugh at the fact that like oh my gosh i didn't think i would get in yeah and i also i realized the realistic nature of like most people are reapplicants. most people take two three cycles to get into medical school and i realized that can have an effect on kind of our mental and emotional health yeah. so my biggest advice to people like if they have logistical questions i try and help them with that at the same time, I really like go and do something fun, like go and help somebody else, like talk to somebody. Like, I think the emotional and mental strain that this has on us is abysmal. And I wish it was different. It just isn't. There's just not enough seats for all the people who want to get in. And so I really just try to be kind of a listening, empathetic ear to them while also guiding them if they want suggestion. I think that's something I've learned through time. It's like, I don't offer suggestion unless someone asks it. Yeah. And so I'm just 
try to be there to support them and realize like, yeah, this is a really hard process. Yeah. We don't celebrate failure enough in our society. You failed first time you went out and tried to do college. How much of that initial failure do you think led to some semblance of of calmness during this process of not being that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get in anywhere. My life is going to be over because you already failed once and you're like, oh, life goes on. It's been everything. And I don't say that casually, like it really provided me the framework and foundation to build um, who I am today. And I say that in like, when I was studying for the MCAT, when I was writing my personal statement, and I was studying for the MCAT on top of four quarter classes, doing extracurriculars, research, like I was at the library for 12 hours a day, like doing a lot of different things, but it was so much fun and it was so enjoyable because I was at a point in my life that was just so depressing and so miserable. And, you know, I, I wanted a way out of that and to be where I was in a state, in a mental state of like gratitude and acceptance and just fulfillment. I wouldn't say like I was always happy because I think that's an unattainable goal. I think I was always fulfilled because I was working towards something I wanted to do. And I felt so grateful to be at a great institution to be able to be studying towards a career that so many people would dream of, uh, to have parents and family and friends who support me. And I think really it's all about perspective. And I think when you change the way you look at something, the thing you look at changes. And if you look at this thing as just a grind and hard and just dark, then that's your, what your experience is going to be. And so having failed so badly before was amazing because everything I was dealing with now was nothing in comparison. Yeah. And like the personal statement and all that stuff was truly a gift, but I really, that's not something you can just teach to somebody. That's something that I had to experience. Yep. Um, so yeah. Looking back at, at young Aaron going into college or, or restarting uh, after you decided to, to do this again, what's, what's something you would go and, and say to yourself that you think would resonate with someone listening to this? Yeah, I think it's a tough question. I got asked that in one of my interviews. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the the amount of gifts I've received out of failing so hard, I almost wouldn't want to change anything, mm-hmm. even though it was really painful. I think it really taught me a lot about how to grow up, how to be a person. It doesn't mean I haven't failed since then. Um, I think I just haven't failed as hard. I kind of keep uh, to use that word failure, fail, you know, fail forward. Yeah. And so I really, I think kind of what we were talking about before, I would just tell them that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I think when you're at that age, things are really heavy. Like we said, that prefrontal cortex isn't all there. Everything feels like it's, you know, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And I would just really advise to, to talk to somebody about it because I think so many times we kind of have to like you said, like we don't want to show failure. Mm-hmm. So I think we, when we kind of shine light on those parts of us and inherently gives permission for other people to do the same. And I think we realize like so many people are struggling with the same things. And if you reach out to somebody and they open up to you, you can connect with them on that level. And so I would just say what I used to say to my clients, which I love is that share your pain and cut it in half and share your joy and double it. Like talk to somebody about it. Like you're not alone in this process. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. And I think that's all I would say because I almost want young Aaron to fail again so I can get to this point. All right, there you have it. I hope that was a great episode. 
again, the ability to to understand that no matter what you've been through on your journey, I think is the best thing that we do here on this podcast. I hear from students all the time who find a story that just resonates with them because it is them. And they go, oh my gosh, now I have the motivation, the encouragement, the the path, the guide to know what I need to do to get into med school. Hopefully that that episode, this episode is the one for you today. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.